So when people don't care about how to pronounce my name, I somehow know that this may not be really a good environment for me. So I try to distance from that environment uh, to somehow protect myself. I'm Kitty Nathan. And I'm Sam Rikulov. And this is Name Dropping, a show about changing your name to protect yourself. In this episode, we talked to Xian Zhao. When we were putting together research for this season, our producer, Ozzy, found this uh, very interesting paper as part of uh, Xian's research about names. In one of his first papers, he emailed professors with either his real name or with an American-sounding nickname, Alex, and compared how many people responded. We were also really interested in his paper, Your Name is Your Lifesaver where Xi'an tested how likely white Americans would be to save an Asian immigrant's life. He found they were less likely to help an immigrant with an Asian name versus one with an anglicized name. In another part of the experiment, he examined people's political beliefs about immigration. But he found that even people who supported multiculturalism were still less likely to help immigrants with Asian names. I was always kind of in the back of my head wondering whether I would get a response when I was cold emailing somebody from the first time. So it was kind of interesting to see that there was a little bit of evidence toward the notion that Western people kind of tune out non-Western names. But you'd rather someone ignore you because your ideas or personality are bad, that not because just your name is unfamiliar to them. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather get a rejection sometimes because at least it, I would know that they read the email. Yeah. So my first name is pronounced as Xian, and my last name is Zhao. Um, my first name means significant, uh, outstanding, and last name doesn't have any meaning. Do you think that you've kept the meaning of your name in mind as you've progressed through life? I think so, and there is a coincidence that in psychology, we use statistics, and we all, always run significant tests. <laughs> and significant always means my name, right? So. So it's quite interesting. Nice. <laughs> when you came to America and you were surrounded by people who were not familiar with tonal languages, did you find that you would like simplify your name a certain way? Did you try out a few different methods and then find a name that stuck for you? Yeah, I think somehow I have to allow people to, <laughs> or I have to adjust my pronunciation, my name pronunciation a little uh-huh. bit to make it easier. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I feel weird because in China, people call me with a tone, but here without a tone. Uh-huh. And it sounds different. So with the with tone is xian. Without the tone is xian. So sometimes I feel I, I, I may have a different self uh-huh. while I'm in the U.S. compared to while I'm in China or among my Chinese friends in the U.S. Yeah. If someone can really call me with, with a tone, that's really like triggers my authentic self, I feel. Some, right. Something a little bit different. Yeah. Real me, uh, like mm. that. Um, where did you grow up? And then when did you move to the U.S.? So I grew up in northeastern China, uh, quite close to North Korea. 
so I I moved to the U.S. in ten years ago, two thousand and thirteen, uh, right before my PhD. Got it. So when I was really young, like a child, I I don't I didn't have any English name at all. So only until I like I was so privileged. The school was privileged to have a British uh, native English speaker to teach us English. Uh, he was a good person, but somehow the students they started to adopt English name. Hmm. Maybe students they feel that when you have an English name, you speak English in a more authentic way. <laughs> Maybe uh, so. Everyone in my class, they everyone has an English name at that time. But however, I had this question, wondering why, why, why should I have an English mm-hmm. name? Why I just don't understand why I don't have a strong rationale or explanation reason. So I was like a rebel that I publicly resist to adopt an English name. And that at that time, China was trying to become a member of World Trade Organization, WTO. So it was a really salient topic on news newspaper everywhere on TV. So I I just adopt this name WTO. It has English <laughs> letters, but it's not really English name, and also shows my unwillingness to to have an English name. So so I was called as WTO for about two years at that time. Oh wow! If 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 you were walking down the street and someone called out WTO, do you think you would respond to that today? Uh, no, I don't think so. Because they don't know that's my name, right? They don't know. But only among my high school friends. Okay. Maybe they already forgot. <laughs> that was 17 years ago. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because I remember when I was taking high school Spanish, everybody was supposed to pick a Spanish name. Uh-huh. For some reason, I ended up as Sergio. I never used it again. <laughs> and I never really got anything out of it, but... It was interesting, like, it felt like unnecessary immersion in a way. Uh, I, I do remember in French class in middle school, um, there were, like, accepted, like, conversions for most names. Like, John would be Jean. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh-huh. for being a child of Indian immigrants, there wasn't going to be, like, a quick and easy, like, yeah French equivalent. <laughs> so they they just had me choose from whatever name started with G that I liked. Uh, yeah. So I like Gilles, <laughs> so I went with that. <laughs> One of my friends still calls me that sometimes. <laughs> but do you, do you think that was probably the first time that you can recall having these kind of critical thoughts about names and the function that they play in society? Yeah, yeah, uh, that was my first time. And then when I was in, uh, when I was still in Chinese college, my younger cousin moved to the U.S. and I called him once, and I called my my aunt, his mom, several times, and. And his mom started to refer him as Jason. <laughs> and who 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 was Jason? I don't know who was Jason. So he started to use the name Jason, and my aunt started to use the name Susan. Uh-huh. Uh, so after they moved to the U.S., so that probably the second time I realized, okay, you huh. have to make some changes when you move to the U.S. Mm. Interesting. And did you at that point did you? feel like you had a strategy for how you were going to approach your name no i still i was still not sure and after i moved to u.s i might with my cousin i stay with my cousin mm-hmm. and i might with his friend all of them all of them they 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 have english name huh. uh they, they were all like very young uh, immigrants uh so they started to use english since they arrived in the u.s 
uh, and not just my aunt, like my, my aunt's co-worker, she's a masseuse working in Los Angeles. Like all her co-workers, they, they all go by English name. None of them mm-hmm. using Chinese name, mm-hmm. which I can partially understand because like massage, the business, you have to make it easier for customers. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you cannot make money. So th- that part I understand. But my cousin's part, I'm, I still don't <laughs> really understand because he went to a school. Most of the students, they are Asian immigrants. Mm-hmm. And I think most of them, they give up their originalized name and adopt English name, which is was really interesting, I feel. Yeah. So that was the second time. And then after I moved to, the, to Kansas, so in my first meeting with my PhD advisor, Monica Beernight, I asked her, do you think I need, a, need to have an English name? And she said, no, no, you don't have to. Uh, and people can learn. Mm-hmm. And she really made, did it. Like her pronunciation is very close to like being perfect. Wow. And not just my advisor, all my friends, like I feel they're motivated to learn. And I'm also very open to teach them multiple times. Mm-hmm. I don't feel embarrassed. So it's not impossible to learn how to pronounce a foreign foreign name. Right. It's, it's more about whether you, are, you want to, whether you are motivated to learn, you, whether you care about that person's feeling. Yeah. Do you think that conversation with your advisor was kind of the moment when your your sort of personal interest in names and your professional interest in social psychology sort of came together? Yeah, since that conversation, I started to think about this mm-hmm. uh, because I, I'm interested in peace and conflict and integral relations, uh, the relationship between different cultures, mm-hmm. uh, different groups. So I started, I started to wonder, maybe this is a good topic to do some research. Uh, so, and this is about a foreigner's relationship with the local people and whether local people expect them to give up their original name. Some, it's kind of assimilation, expectation. And then for foreign individuals, whether they want to be assimilated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm interested in this kind of interaction and decided to do some research later on. So you had this really positive experience with your uh, advisor being very respectful of your pronunciation of your name. But did you have any other memorable experiences at the time of people mispronouncing your name? Yeah, always, always. <laughs> <laughs> the worst case was I was a teaching assistant for the department chair at that time she she moved away so but at that time she was a chair and she was teaching a class i think it's, but even be, right before that class i showed her how to pronounce my name uh and then since that very first class she i think she, somehow she forgot uh to pronounce correctly and until the end of the semester, she called me Zhuang or Rong, something like a French name or something. <laughs> uh, not really Chinese, not English. Something really, really fancy. And, <laughs> and the students, they started to memorize me by that name. Uh, so that was funny for that semester. Yeah. I know you're very invested in getting people to pronounce names correctly. And could you talk more generally about why that's an important mission for you? Yeah, so I'm sure you and also the audience are probably familiar with the concept microaggression, mm-hmm. uh, which is trivial, small, commonplace daily behavior that make people, especially people from marginalized group, they don't feel belong. And not being able to correctly pronounce someone's name, uh, not in a, an acceptable way, that could be seen as a form of microaggression, which 
show signals that people don't like you, don't really care about you. And correctly pronouncing someone's name in an acceptable way is actually a micro-affiliated behavior, which is also daily commonplace behavior, but signals your inclusion, your welcome to that person. And that's important. That shows people people that in, people in this environment respect you. They right. want you to be here. They 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 want you to be to show your authentic self. They respect you. Mm-hmm. And there are very simple ways to learn someone's name, like really small effort and practice. And maybe you you ask that person in a really polite way to show you how to pronounce. That that's enough. That's it. Yeah, I feel like just asking them feels like it goes a long way because just in my experience, I would be more patient with someone. I mean, I'm not like super impatient with people in general, but like I would be more patient if someone was just asking me and trying to learn mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. Uh, one of the papers that you've written is called Welcome to the U.S. But Change Your Name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you use your own name as part of the research. Right. Uh, how did you come up with the idea for this experiment? I had some uh, bad experiences uh, in academia that people uh, forgot my name or forgot me in general. For example, when I applied for a grant, they forgot me. Only after I contacted them, I asked them, why haven't you announced the uh, grant result? And then they emailed me back saying that, sorry, I I forgot to consider your application. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you felt like you were getting overlooked a little bit. Exactly. So that's how I developed that idea in a study in which I sent out an email using my original name, asking to meet with them for 15 minutes to talk about grad- applying for graduate school. However, in one condition, I only mentioned my original name, Xian. Another condition is mention my original name, but also told the uh, faculty member that you can call me by Alex. That's my English name. That's the only difference. And I found that Xian only got 50% uh, response rate and Alex got 60% around. Mm-hmm. Which means if I email 10 faculty members in the US, Alex will bring me one more chance, right? Mm-hmm. One more reply. Mm-hmm. So that's my turn. Yeah. I'll say for myself, just I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not an immigrant. Just uh, I was born in the US, but my parents were. But I feel like I've had this thing where when I send emails to people, it's under my name, Sam or Kaloff. And there are just some times where I have this like irrational fear that it's either going to go to spam because of Google's filters or whatever, or they're uh-huh. just going to see it and kind of glaze over it because like, oh, I don't know who this person is. Like when I'm emailing somebody for the first time. Uh-huh. And then when I send like the follow-up email, almost always they're like, oh, this person's real. I should get okay. back to them. And so when I was reading your studies, it kind of it wasn't like an exact one-on-one thing, but it was kind of like, all right, well maybe there is some kind of difference where Sam or Kaloff is emailing versus Samuel whoever is emailing. So, when you use your own name in a study like this, is it do you tend to have like a emotional response aside from your academic interest in the subject? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somehow that shows my anger or disappointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the environment. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have myself somehow embedded or involved in the study. Uh, that's my identity. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of curious about how Alex was assigned to you or came to you. Yeah, so I, 
Yeah, Alex is one of my friend's name uh, back in China. Right now he's doing uh, his PhD in University of Maryland. So he goes by the name Alex. But we study the same, almost the same topic. Like we both graduate from the same social psychology program in China. So we are both sensitive. I, I assume we are both sensitive to this issue. But I was surprised like he used the, the English name. So I, I, I used this Alex name in my study. Somehow I was trying to tease him or mock him a little bit. But I totally respect his choice. Uh, if he used Alex, that's his own choice. All my work is not to uh, asking as a minorities, you should not emphasize your name. That's not the goal. But the goal is trying to build an inclusive environment that mm-hmm. people, they have their freedom. The thing is, how can we build an environment not forcing them to emphasize their name? The environment is more important than the individual. Right. One thing that I've enjoyed reading your papers is that you have done a roundup also of all the previous research about names and their relationship with uh, self-esteem and well-being and a lot of sort of surprising relationships that we may not expect to find there. Can you tell me about some of the most interesting past research that you read and something I'd be surprised to learn? Yeah, so uh, the, the finding you mentioned that Unexciting name negatively predicts self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And because it's only a correlation study, it's, there's no way I can say one is causing the other. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is somehow, maybe if you have an English name, that may produce some kind of identity confusion or conflict. In different situations, that person needs to switch their identity. So that's causing like an actual identity burden for them. And that may reduce self-esteem. Another way to explain that was maybe people who have lower self-esteem, they are more likely to assimilate because they want to fit in. They want to make it easier for other people. And then they are more likely to emphasize their name. Mm -hmm. So we don't know the causal direction, but there are two potential explanations. Got it. One of the main reasons we wanted to talk to you was uh, your paper that's called Your Name is Your Lifesaver. Mm-hmm. where you look at how people's willingness to rescue others uh, varied based on the names of uh, the victims. Um, how did you come up with the idea for this study? So we developed or borrowed or adapted three emergent uh, moral dilemma. So in which a targeted person need to be saved by others. So if you're familiar with trolley problems, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a, there are two railways and the train is coming. You have to pull a, a lever to switch the train mm-hmm. to kill one person or another fire. Mm-hmm. And then we change that target person's name by having original IC name or unlicensed IC name. And then participants, they have to, they imagine themselves to be the person 
who have this opportunity or are able to save that person. Uh, so in that study overall, we found that when people only cite their name for immigrants, they only cite their name, they are more likely to be saved as a compared to when they don't only cite their name. We saw that one of your findings was that those who supported multiculturalism were actually more likely to help Asian subjects with Anglo names than Asian subjects with original names. Was that right. surprising to you? That was a little bit surprised because mm-hmm. that also shows some kind of biases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So which means uh, multiculturalism or assimilation, assimilationism may not be the ultimate ideology we mm-hmm. want the whole society to endorse. So something recently the scholar has been working on another ideology called polyculturalism, Mm. which is people of different cultural groups, they learn from each other. And not just like a static culture of different cultures. It's always dynamic. We learn, we respect. For example, the Chinese-American food in the U.S. is very different from American food, Mm -hmm. but also very different from Chinese food in China. Mm -hmm. So that's is one example of polyculturalism. That's something new, innovative, mm-hmm. developed, creative, out of the interactions of different cultures. Mm-hmm. That probably more promising for the future, I, I feel. Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying multiculturalism is totally wrong. No, <laughs> uh, multiculturalism has a lot of benefits. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're just showing some of the limitations of that ideology and like right. how it can evolve going forward. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know these studies were... One was one study was published in 2017, and uh, a couple others were in 2018. Have you noticed any changes for the better or worse in the years since, either through your own experiences or through the experiences of people you know? My own experience remained the same, I feel, somehow. But prob- <laughs> probably, I-, I guess, due to pandemic mm. and the uh, COVID-19 started in China, and this Asian hate uh, start, has been growing. Mm-hmm. Like my friends, they really worry about going on street. Mm-hmm. They, they are not even sure whether they should put on the mask or not wearing the mask. Mm-hmm. Because either way, people hate you. Uh, <laughs> or yeah. people can find reason to hate you. So yeah. during that time, I feel maybe the name effect would have found maybe through the email or others, the more dilemma that effect could be enlarged during that time. Hmm. But I'm not sure about now. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe it's getting smaller, maybe, I don't know. Overall, would you say your research has changed how you you would approach certain situations in life? I think so. I think maybe compared to other people, I'm a little bit more sensitive to how people treat me. Hmm. Uh, But this sensitivity is not biased, I think. I think mm-hmm. is legitimate or reasonable sensitivity to care about how other people treat me and to understand. So when people cannot or don't care about how to pronounce my name, I somehow know that this may not be really a good environment for me. Mm-hmm. So I try to distance from that environment mm-hmm. uh, to somehow protect myself. So so any kind of signals of microaggression, I, tr- I try to avoid that situation. If I can do something to make it better, I'll do something. But if there's nothing I can do as a newcomer to that environment, I just try to distance mm-hmm. myself. I try to maybe turn those ideas into research okay. and try to educate the, the public 
inside of that small group of people. Do you think your research has changed how you might approach, like, let's say, naming ch- children in the future? Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, so pro- I have seen other people's approaches. For example, my Arabic friends. So he has he had a daughter uh, during pandemic, and I asked him what's the names like you prepare to name your daughter, and the all the options he came up with. Those are easy to pronounce by English speakers first. Mm-hmm. And those are all original Arabic names. So he was trying to satisfy both sides. Uh, so that's his approach. I totally respect. There's no problem with that. And my own approach, I think I'll probably name my kids with original as a name only. Uh, and I don't care about how difficult to pronounce <laughs> for people of other words, other languages. The reason is, I think if I don't do this, it will be less likely to see those original IC names in the U.S. Right. So I want to carry this burden somehow. Right. Uh, so that's for the first name. And also I care about the last name. Last name, usually we have the last, last, name, fo- have the last name following the father, mm-hmm. the father's side. And that signals the uh, male's power in the family, uh, especially in China, like when you have the family name and, and when you are a boy, that's totally means something different from if you cannot carry the family name. So somehow the family name signals the power of man uh, within the family. So I also don't like that. Mm. So my goal is get, getting rid of the family name. Hmm. Mm. I only have original, authentic, ethnic first name. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I live in Canada for four years. So I check Canadian policy that you can only have first name. Hmm. But when you have to fill out your last name, you just copy your first name. So double it. Uh. Uh, so I think that's a good way to fix it. Yeah. Right? yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I like your strategy of just like, you know, in terms of naming children, you can refuse to make these short-term concessions so that you get this long-term benefit in society. Right. And also, I want to say that I need to uh, discuss this with my girlfriend before I really <laughs> do anything. It's not my, just my own decision. Right, right. right. Noted, noted. <laughs> we'll keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think she will be hearing this uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about this a little bit with the micro affiliations, but what kind of big changes do you think we would need to make as a society for Americans to stop being afraid or forgetful of names that they perceive as foreign? Yeah, so the idea, this micro affiliation idea, I try to advocate or promote, mm-hmm. it's really from the psychological perspective that focusing on how small environment, like organizations or people or small group, how people can make changes. Mm-hmm. But I do believe it's not just the small environment or small organization. It's a whole system. It's a whole racist system in this society. Now we should really reform, make big changes. That can deeply solve the problem. So, so my my microfiliation can solve some problem, I think, mm-hmm. and promote an inclusive environment. But really, the deep issue is the whole system, mm-hmm. from the law, from the government, from everywhere in this system, that need to be fixed. 
Thanks for listening to Name Dropping. You can find more of Xian's work on Google Scholar, and the link to that is in the show notes. You can find us on Instagram at namedroppingpod or send us an email at namedropping at defector.com. Name Dropping is hosted by me, Giddy Nathan, and Samer Koloff, and it's produced by Ozzy Linus Goodman. Our editor is Justin Ellis, and our supervising producer is Alex Sujong Laughlin. Our production assistant is Jay Tull Vieira. Thanks to editor-in-chief Tom Lay and the rest of the Defector staff. Defector Media is a collectively owned, subscriber-based media company. If you love this podcast and want to support us, subscribe at defector.com. 